Good morning. We'll take our seats and come together for worship on this day the Lord has made, and we rejoice and are glad in it. Uh, just to reintroduce myself, I'm your new assistant pastor. And uh, Jerry, of course, is home recovering, and uh, we thank the Lord that everything went well with his uh, surgery, and we praise the Lord for that. And that's my wife, Suzette. Raise your hand there. So they see her on the pew there. And uh, we're excited to be here with you and rejoice over uh, the Lord's bringing us together and to help Jerry and in pastoral work, pastoral ministry. Um, I've been in uh, pastoral ministry continuously for 43 years. So uh, the Lord has been good to us. And you can remember me as the short and bald preacher. So there you go. He's much taller than me. But uh, we rejoice uh, together. I've known Jerry for many years, 20-some years. And so uh, we're uh, delighted to be here to help as uh, the Lord blesses uh, Grace Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Uh, in many ways, and so it's good to be here. Let's go to our silent meditation, and from the Valley of Vision. Uh, I took this from the Valley of Vision. If you're familiar with that little book, uh, if you're not, you need to get one. It's a compilation of uh, Puritan prayers, and uh, this particular silent meditation is from that, the Valley of Vision. Oh Lord, help me never to expect any happiness from the world, but only in Thee. Let me not think that I shall be more happy by living to myself, for I can only be happy if employed for thee, and if I desire to live in this world only to do and suffer what thou dost allot me. Teach me that if I do not live a life that satisfies thee, I shall not live a life that will satisfy thee. I shall not live a life that will satisfy myself. Let's pray. Father, on this Lord's Day, we come together as your people. We do thank you that in Jesus Christ alone we find our satisfaction, our joy, our peace. We pray, Father, that all this hour he would be lifted up, he would be exalted through the preaching of your word, through the sacraments this morning, through the music and song, the reading of the scripture and prayer, that you are the audience, you are the one who gathers with us the triune God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Bless this hour, we pray, Father, to the glory of our Lord Jesus, and in his name we pray, amen. The announcements this morning are a few. Just uh, remind you, the men's choir will meet right after Sunday school uh, with Lois, and so remind you of that. Today is also the day to turn in your uh, Operation Christmas Child boxes, so be sure and do that. Uh, we did that at our church in uh, Mississippi, and we were also a collection point, so all the churches would bring in their boxes to our church, so we're very familiar with that, uh, with that ministry, so be sure and get your uh, boxes in. Uh, the ladies' Christmas tea and cookie exchange Saturday, December the 2nd, from 1 to 3 p.m., so remember that, and I think that covers most of our announcements. The others uh, you'll find in the back of your bulletin. Uh, the mission service tonight uh, at 6 p.m., so I remind you that, to come back tonight at 6 for the missionary who will be speaking uh, tonight. 
And then on Wednesday, November 22nd, from 2 to 4, the Grace Prez Turkey Bowl, number 8. So uh, remember that this coming uh, Wednesday from 2 to 4. And then uh, the Women's Bible Study kickoff is November the 29th from 6 to 8 p.m. And as I mentioned, the Women's uh, Christmas Tea and Cookie on Saturday, December the 6th. Oops. Nope. All right. Yeah, boo-boo there. All right. So just remember those, uh, those things uh, this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Let's turn in our hymn books on this communion or this communion Sunday and uh, Thanksgiving Sunday to hymn number 715. Come be thankful people. Come. Let's stand as we sing.
may be seated and take your bulletin this morning as we confess our faith using the Westminster Larger Catechism. And this is question 151, and it's actually in uh, four parts. So you've been going over this particular question for a couple of Sundays. And this morning we come to parts three and four. And this uh, particular question of the Westminster Confession and Larger Catechism really answers the question, are all sins the same? Are all sins equal? And of course, we know in our heart of hearts they are not. And uh, this particular question helps us understand that and answer that question. So let us uh, join together. I'll ask the question, and then we'll join in unison in answering the question. What sins are more evil because of the harm that results from them? Sins become more harmful from the nature and quality of the sin. If it is against the exact letter of the law, breaks more than one commandment, or includes many separate sins, if it is not only planned in the heart, but is expressed in words and actions, and scandalizes others, and cannot be made right, if it is against the means of God's grace, his mercy, or his judgments, against our natural understanding, convictions of our conscience, public or private warnings, condemnation by the church, and civil punishment. If it is against our own prayers, purposes, promises, vows, covenants, and commitments to God or men, if made deliberately, willfully, presumptuously, immodestly, boastfully, maliciously, repeatedly, ostentatiously, with delight, continually, or as a result of falling back into it after repenting from it, from circumstances of time and place, if on the Lord's day or other times of divine worship, or immediately before or after these or other religious activities that help to prevent or be a remedy for such failures, or if publicly or in the presence of others, who consequently may very well be aroused to or defiled by the sin. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. As we go to prayer this morning, and it is our custom, we will conclude together with the Lord's Prayer. And now as we prepare our hearts for God's word from Pastor David, hear these words from 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, our creator and redeemer, this Lord's Day morning, as we bow in worship, we should have the greatest calm, quiet, and peace because of the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. As we look to our Savior, may we remember we are complete in him. We are in your sight, Heavenly Father, as if we had never sinned. And more than that, we have the righteousness of God. Heavenly Father, far too often we, your people, 
We who are trusting in Jesus Christ are downcast and sad. Far too often we dwell upon our sin, our depravity, our mistakes, our corruption. Far too often we allow Satan to assault us and allow the distress and troubles of our daily lives to cause us to forget, to forget the gospel of Jesus. We become discouraged. We question our faith. We don't know if we can trust you. Father, this Lord's Day, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray at those moments, may we remember none of our sins can condemn us. May we remember and believe that our sin has been laid upon our Savior. Our standing before you is not in ourselves, but in him. And we are accepted by you, for we have been given our Savior's righteousness. We have been given fullness in Christ. Not our own righteousness, but the righteousness of God by faith in him. And Heavenly Father, this morning, we rest solely upon Christ for our salvation and believe that unworthy as we are, we are saved in him. And we pray, may there arise in us gratitude so that we no longer live unto ourselves, but unto you. Writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul reminds us, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, abounding in thanksgiving. Lord, this week, as we celebrate our National Day of Thanksgiving, may we give thanks for you and our Lord and Savior and our life in him. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we earnestly and fervently pray that if there's anyone in this worship service that does not trust and believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, that you would draw them unto yourself. And by the ministry of your word and the power of the Holy Spirit, may they not go away unbelieving. Our Lord, strengthen and encourage Pastor David as he proclaims your word, give him clarity of thought and expression, and may your word accomplish your intended purpose. And Father, we also pray that you would bless our tithes and offerings to the building of thy kingdom. Lord, we wait upon you now and pray the Holy Spirit would rest upon us May we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who himself taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Would the ushers please come forward? Taking your bulletins uh, this morning, our congregational confession of sin is printed for you uh, in the bulletin. Let's pray together, confession of sin. Most holy and merciful Father, we acknowledge and confess before you our sinful nature, prone to evil and slothful in good, and all our shortcomings and offenses. You alone know how often we have sinned in wandering from your ways, in wasting your gifts, in forgetting your love. But you, O Lord, have mercy upon us, who are ashamed and sorry for all wherein we have displeased you. Teach us to hate our errors. 
Cleanse us from our secret faults and forgive our sins for the sake of your dear Son. And, O most holy and loving Father, help us, we beseech you, to live in your life and walk in your ways according to the commandments of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The assurance of pardon that the Lord gives us to encourage us to lift up our head from Psalm 145, verse 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. We'll sing together the living hope.
you will, turn in your Bibles uh, this morning to Psalm 75. And uh, while you do that, just to tell you a little bit about myself and my wife. We've been uh, married in June as of uh, 45 years. Uh, we have three children. Um, two of them live in North Carolina and uh, with their spouses, and one in College Station, Texas, uh, with his spouse, and we have nine grandchildren, of which we are proud of all of them, as all grandparents are. And uh, we are delighted to be here uh, with you and minister with you and reach the community with the gospel of Christ. And, and that's what it's all about, uh, to see others come to know Christ as their Savior and Lord. Well, let's uh, turn to Psalm 75. And it's uh, my custom uh, to have a stand uh, for the reading of God's Word. So if you would, stand as we read together uh, Psalm 75. To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a psalm of Asaph, a song. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks, for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. Selah. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high, or speak with haughty neck. For not from the east or from the west, and not from the wilderness comes lifting up. But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours, it out, he pours out from it. And all the wicked of the earth shall drink it down to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off. But the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. May the Lord bless this reading and hearing of his word. You may be seated. I love this quotation from Charles Spurgeon. He said, why should we praise God again and again? Stinted gratitude is ingratitude. For infinite goodness, there should be measureless thanks. For infinite goodness, there should be measureless thanks. That's what Thanksgiving is all about. Measureless thanks to God for his mercy and grace to us in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Our thanks, our gratitude, as this quotation points out, is not based on what we receive or what we have, but on the character of God, his goodness, his grace, and his unending love for his people. The attributes of love and mercy are highlighted in this psalm but not only that, but God's justice against wickedness and evil. It's not something we often reflect upon, but we should. 
we should reflect upon the holy character of God against wickedness and evil in this world. For we are in a fallen world where a Savior is needed for the sinner, and it is Jesus Christ alone who is that Savior. Even God's wrath displays his infinite goodness, the psalmist is telling us in this psalm this morning. I doubt that many around the Thanksgiving tables this coming Thursday will praise and thank God for his wrath. But yet we should, for he is a just God. He is a holy God. In fact, as R.C. Sproul always reminded us, he is the thrice, the thrice holy God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that is the basis of his justice and his wrath against wickedness and evil. For you see, as this psalm tells us, evil and wickedness lifts its head up. It is boastful. It is proud. And pride is at the core of all sin. Think about that. Began in the garden when, the, when Satan came to Adam and Eve and said, you can be like God. You can know good and evil. You can know all. Oh, yeah. We want that. And ever since, mankind has lifted up his head in rebellion, in his pride against God. So here in our text this morning, the infinite goodness of God, the measureless goodness of God is seen not only in how he loves us and cares for us, but also in his justice and his holiness. This psalm was sung by the people of God to praise him in the congregation. That's why I read the opening in the text there, to the choir master. This is what you sing to sing of the goodness, of mercy of God towards sinners. And it, it says that it's titled, Do Not Destroy. Now, there are several other places in the Bible where that title is used, and that's probably what it's referring to in different places. One was when Saul and David were in their feud, and David had a moment in which he could destroy Saul, and he did not. So what did David characterize? What did David show? Like God, he was merciful when he could have destroyed Saul and he did not. So this is a reminder of do not destroy, that God does not destroy his people but cares for them. But yet in his justice and wrath, he will pour out on all wickedness his judgment for he is holy. He is a holy God. Now, there's three things I want us to see here quickly as we look at this psalm. The first is, in the first three verses, thankfulness for the one who upholds a tottering world. Boy, does that not describe the world today, a tottering world. It seems on the brink, on every side, to be headed toward disaster. 
We seem to be headed toward world wars and we see on every side man is lifting up himself against God. We have become our own God. Now, I haven't read all the book yet, but I heard him speak a few months ago. Carl Truman has written a marvelous new book on the new God in our culture, and it is the self. The self. I define who I am, what I believe, what I want. I am my own God. That's the God of America, of our culture. And we need to call people to come to Jesus and find their identity, their true self, not in what they think they are or what the world is like, but in Jesus Christ. They will find forgiveness and mercy and grace in him. This psalm is a hymn of Israel. The title tells us that. It is written for the choir to lead in the singing of the people of God, the congregation in worship. It is a phrase of mercy when he says, do not destroy. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. The praise of Yahweh God for his eminence. Now, I use a theologian's tone, phrase there, eminence, God's closeness, his nearness to us. Certainly on this Thanksgiving, that's one thing we can praise the Lord for, his eminence, his nearness to us. One thing that the Lord's Supper reminds us of every month is the nearness of Christ, that he came in the flesh and died on the cross for our sins. He became human, truly God and truly man. Eminence. Praise God for his nearness. That all through the year, he has not left us. He has not deserted us. He has been with us. I will never leave you nor forsake you, he says, to his covenant people. And so in this psalm, they are called to praise him for his nearness in his name. Now, you Bible scholars know that in the Bible, when you say the person's name, the name doesn't mean the, 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 the name of the person's description, but it's a description of their character, of who they are. The nearness of God. The nearness of God is his character, is who he is. He will not leave us or ever forsake us. The Holy Spirit is within you. You're baptized. You're born again in the Holy Spirit, and he will never leave his children. The nearness of God on this Thanksgiving 2023, how we should praise God for that, that he will never leave us. Even in the darkest moments in the valley of the shadow of death, he will never leave us. He is there. In the Bible, the person's name speaks of their essence, of who they are. God the Father and Jesus are referenced as I am. Jesus, uh, Jerry mentioned that last Sunday in his sermon. I am speaks of the eternality of God, that he is near and that he is forever and he will never leave us. 
nor forsake us. The triune God who has always existed, who has no beginning and no end, is always near. Is that not what we as Christians truly desire? To be near to God, closer to Him. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And so the the Israelites, they recount in their worship, in their singing, we give thanks for your name is near. Who you are is near, and you will never leave us or or forsake us. And then he says in the last part of that verse, in verse 1, thanksgiving allows us to recount your wondrous deeds. We recount your wondrous deeds. One of the songs we usually sing at Thanksgiving time is count your many blessings. Name them one by one. That's something we need to do every day, to recount our many blessings and see what God has done. Recount your wondrous deeds for us, how he cares for us, gives us our daily bread. We pray that in the Lord's Prayer, don't we? Every week And God answers that prayer to give us what we need. He provides for us. Recount your wondrous deeds. Every breath that we take, our whole life, we give him praise for. For he is the God who is near to his children. And it's not because we are somehow more special or anything like that. It's of no merit of our own, but it's because God loved us before the foundations of the world, that we might be holy and blameless in his sight, that is, in Jesus Christ and what he has done. For it is his righteousness that is imputed, that is given to us, that makes us acceptable that he might be near to his children. For the sacrifice has been made for our sins in Jesus Christ. And in the Lord's Supper, we remember his nearness, his closeness, his eminence to us in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And then in verse 2, is a reference to God's righteous judgment. This is a reference to the end of time judgment, yes, but also praise for the judge of all the earth who will judge righteously at the set time that I appoint I will judge with equity, with equity. If there's anything this fallen world needs, it needs a judge who judges with equity. The injustices of this world are well documented in every generation, in every nation. It is a universal sin. It was a problem in Israel. They broke the covenant with their inequality and their injustices that they did among themselves. But God judges with equity. All the crooked will be made straight. All will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for their life. Jesus said, with every word that we speak, we will give an account for Boy, that should silence us, shouldn't it? We often need to hit the delete key before we write sometimes, don't we? 
because the judge of all the earth knows, and he judges righteously. But we can stand in that day because of what Christ has done. Coming to Christ, there we find forgiveness and mercy and grace. A few weeks ago when I gave my testimony before the Presbytery as I transferred into Chesapeake Presbytery, they asked you to give your Christian experience, which is how you came to know Christ. How were you converted? I said at the age of 12, and a lot of people are amazed at that. You haven't done that many sins. Lying to my parents. Go on the list. I knew I was not right with God. When I sat in that communicants class and the ruling elders and the pastor explained what sin was and who the sin bearer was, Jesus Christ, and that if you come to him, flee to him, there you will find forgiveness of your sins. Oh, and I found that in Christ. At the age of 12, the burden of my sin rolled away, as John Bunyan expressed it there at Calvary at the cross. Rolled away, not because of me, but because of Christ, a sinner saved by grace. We recount his wondrous deeds. We recount that he is a God and a judge of justice and truth, and he will straighten the crooked. We know in this world that the evil get away with a lot, but on the bar before Christ, they will answer for their sin. We live in troubling times when the wrong seems so strong, says a Christmas hymn. The earth seems to be tottering. He keeps the earth, though. He can do right. When the earth totters, verse 3, and all its inhabitants, it is I, it is I who keeps it steady, its pillars. Do we realize that? That it is God who holds and controls all this world. I remember learning at the knee of my mother in Somerville, South Carolina, as a little boy, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. I didn't know what a Calvinist and a Reformed and a Presbyterian was at that age, but boy, I love that doctrine from a little child, the sovereignty of God. That we need not be anxious or worried on this Thanksgiving because who keeps the earth's pillars steady? It is the living God who holds it all. Indeed, he does. In these troubling times, to know that God is still on his throne, that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and there is no one above him. And one day when he comes, all will see him and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is our Jesus. That is our Savior. As the psalmist wrote in Psalm 125, verse 2, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. That is our God. 
So truthfulness and thankfulness for the one who upholds a world that seems to be tottering. And then verses 4 through 8, thankfulness for the one in whose hand is the cup. The author of Psalm 75 now addresses those who boast in their own self-sufficiency. Horn in the Bible is a metaphor for one's own power and strength. For the Christian, God is our horn. Jesus is our horn. We lift him up, for we boast in him and in what he has done. But lifting one's horn or boasting in oneself and abilities is the farthest thing from following Jesus. It is pride that is in view here. If there is anything more dangerous to our Christian walk, it is pride. It is pride. For you see, the Christian is identified by humility. Humility. Humbleness. Contriteness. You see, the one who is humble and contrite is the one who knows they are a sinner and comes to Christ for forgiveness. It was in humbleness and contriteness at 12 that the Lord convicted me and I came to Christ as Savior. For I knew what a sinner I was. And my mother knew what a sinner I was until the day she died at 98. Pride is at the root of all sin. And this is why the Bible so roundly condemns it. The wrath of God is reserved for the boastful and the prideful who see no need for grace and mercy. The boastful or pride do not understand thankfulness or gratitude. That's why I love this holiday, Thanksgiving. It is so Christocentric. It is so Christ-centered. For gratitude and thankfulness is the 365 year or day, a year of a Christian's life. Thankfulness and gratitude for what God has done for us in Christ. When we left uh, Greenville, Mississippi, you know, as pastors do, and I was involved in a lot of things there in the city with the local Rotary Club, and on the last meeting, I was to give the opening prayer. We gave, I gave the prayer, and as I walked up to the podium, was called up to the podium, they all started booing me after he announced that I was leaving. It's a dangerous thing is the compliments of others. One of the most dangerous things to our Christian walk is to hear lots of compliments, to receive the accolades of others. It causes us to think, well, I'm something. <laughs> no, it's Jesus. It's all about Jesus, not about us, about Christ, our Savior. So we have to be careful, as he warns here. I say to the boastful, do not boast. 
And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck. You know, this was the thing that the Lord said to his people in Israel. You are stiff-necked. Why? Because they would not listen. Over and over again, he came to them with prophets, and they would not listen. Their stiff-neckedness, their pride, their boastfulness led to their downfall. So we need to beware flattery. Proverbs warns a lot about that, doesn't it? To let others speak well of you and not yourself. Do not be boastful. And so on this Thanksgiving, when we thank God, we are thanking Him for the blessings, recognition of who He is and what He has provided and what He has done for us in Jesus Christ. You see, thanksgiving and thankfulness and gratitude is humbling, isn't it? It's a recognition that we are not all sufficient. And that we have everything, or that we have it all together. It's a recognition of the one who does, Jesus, our Savior. And then thirdly and lastly, thanksgiving, for he raises the horns of the righteous. Verses 9 through 10, Asaph closes with this, but I will declare it forever. What is the it he's referring to here? Go back to verse 1. The nearness of God to his people and his wondrous deeds for them. I will declare it forever. I will declare who he is, his nearness to me, his love for me forever. I will declare it. On this Thanksgiving, let's declare the goodness of God, even in his justice but his love and his nearness for his people, for us as the people of God. Now, you know, you could sing about that. We're going to sing about that. But isn't it interesting that we have a cup before us this morning? You see, that's a metaphor all through the Bible of judgment. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night He was betrayed the night with the Lord's Supper. He instituted the Lord's Supper. What did he pray? Lord, if it be possible, let this cup be lifted from me. What cup was he referring to? The very cup referred to here in Psalm 75, the cup of the wrath of God, of judgment on sin. Jesus drank that cup to the dregs, to the end, for us. And that's the good news of the gospel. You don't have to remain in your sin, your boastfulness, your self-sufficiency. But in Jesus Christ, you will find forgiveness and grace and mercy. For he drank the cup that we deserve. He took that cup. Foaming with the red wine of judgment and wrath, Jesus took for us. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He drank it for us. Wondrous deeds of the Lord. 
So we thank Him and we praise Him this morning. So as we close, the key takeaway that I want you to see in this text this morning is that thanksgiving is daily and it is perennial when it's based on knowing the character of God and His attributes, who He is. As Spurgeon said, for infinite goodness, there should be measureless thanks. Not just one day a year, but every day for who He is, for who God is, that He did not in His wrath and justice bring us down, but rather in Christ taking up the cup and drinking it for us has lifted us up. Our horn of righteousness shall be lifted up. The Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Salvation or the lifting up of the humble sinner's horn is the redemption from the wrath of God in Jesus Christ. It's what he has done. I close with this question. R.C. Sproul always continually asks this incisive question. From what or who are we saved? You know, the Christian likes to say, I'm saved. But from who or what are you saved? You are saved from God himself. From his wrath and his justice. We are passed over because Christ took that cup for us and the blood of Christ represented in that cup covers all our sin. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for what Jesus has done for us willingly, being obedient to the Father's will drank that cup for us. And this morning, Father, we remember what Jesus did. We remember as we eat this bread and drink this cup of the one who took the cup of the judgment of the wrath of God that we deserve, the Lord Jesus Christ. He came in flesh. He was among us, imminent, near us, and he is near us now in the Holy Spirit. So we thank you and praise you, Father, for what you have done for us on this Thanksgiving Sunday, this Thanksgiving week. We thank you for who you are, your infinite goodness displayed for us in Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, that he laid down his life for us. And Father, I pray if there's one 12-year-old, if there's a boy or girl or man or woman here this morning, that has not fled to Jesus for forgiveness of their sins. They will cry out to him for mercy and grace and forgiveness, and they will find it, for you are faithful, you are just, and you will never turn away the humble and the contrite. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we come to the table this morning, this is not the table of Grace Prez. It is the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're a member in good standing, 
in an evangelical church, and that means a church that affirms and believes those great truths, those foundational truths of the gospel of Christ, the substitutionary atonement of Christ, the work of Christ for our sins. You've been baptized. You've confessed him as your Lord and Savior, and you're invited to partake with us of the supper this morning. But if you're uncertain, and if you're not sure that you're in the body of Christ, as Paul warned in 1 Corinthians 11, then let the cup and the bread pass. Speak to me or one of the elders here this morning and be certain of your relationship with Christ, that he is your Savior and your Lord, and that you want to know him and be sure that you know him as your Savior. For the Bible tells us there in 1 Corinthians 11 that if we do not discern the, Bible, the body properly, we, we drink judgment upon ourselves. So be certain of your relationship with Christ. But this is not a table for the perfect. This is a table for the forgiven. For those who know that in Jesus their sins are cleansed and washed away by his precious blood. And that his body was broken for them. And so take the bread with joy. Drink the cup with thanksgiving for what Christ has done for us. And let us now consecrate the Lord's Supper as we pray. Father, we do thank you for this table. We look forward to the table one day when Jesus himself will be at the head of that table. We thank you, Father, for this table this morning that reminds us of what Jesus has done for us in the bread broken, his body broken there at Calvary and his blood shed that dripped to the ground there at Mount Calvary for our salvation because he loved us. And so, Father, may we lift up the cup of salvation with praise and thanksgiving unto you for your infinite goodness seen in Jesus our Savior. And we set apart from a common to a sacred purpose these elements this morning. And we give you the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. And now if the elders will come and the deacons. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread and broke it as I do, now ministering in his name, saying, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread and broke it as I have done, ministering in his name, saying, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After they had supped, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, given for many for the remission of sin. Drink ye all of it.
After they had supped, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, given for many for remission of sins. Drink ye all of it. The Bible says that after they had supped, they sang a hymn. We'll close with our closing hymn.
receive now the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his face upon you and his countenance. In Jesus' name, amen.